Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Make me feel shorter than I really am. Um, oh man, I'm, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to pull it right out. Well, we're going to start our, uh, or go into our second part. There is a reality that a lot of times in your spiritual walk, you're going to feel just that dry, where you don't feel like you're going to be able to cool off. You don't feel like you're going to be able to revive, to be refreshed. And I told you last week, I warned you last week that dry times in your spiritual walk are inevitable. In fact, I told you that they were absolutely normal, absolutely necessary because they help you become spiritually mature. In fact, I would say it like this. If you don't go through dry times, the chances are you will never become spiritually mature. I know that's not a shouting point, but that's just the truth. See, there are dry times that will come into our lives, and so we've got to learn how to survive these dry moments and, and to not only survive them, but to embrace them and to learn from them because that's what this is all about. It's about learning, and so we go through these dry times. Now, as much as we would like to avoid them, not possible. So let me give you an alternative. An alternative to this is David's concept of dry times. Because David had a completely different mentality about dry times that I think is pretty novel. Because if you read in Psalms chapter 63, verses 1, listen to what it says. It says, O God, thou art my God. Earnestly I will seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and weary land where no water is. Let me read it to you out of the Message Bible. It says it's like this. God, you're my God. I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such a hunger and thirst for God traveling across dry and weary deserts. In other words, think about this now. This is a different concept. We think that when we go through the dry moments of our lives that it causes us to get further away from God and not be able to feel God and encounter God. And David is saying just the opposite. He's saying, I'm in the middle of the driest moment of my life. And somehow out of that dry moment, even in that, what it does is it increases my hunger and increases my desire and increases my thirst for you. And what I want to say to you this morning, just to start us off is this, just because you're dry does not mean that you can't want more of God. In fact, it shouldn't diminish your, your need for God or want for God or desire for God. What the dry moments of your life should do is cause you to want God more. That's a different concept for us that we just don't think about that that much. So let me refresh your memory. Some of the survival uh, lessons we learned last week. We learned this. The wilderness is not a location. It is a condition. And I told you that that was important because if you think the wilderness, the dry moment of your life is a location, you will continue to change locations and the dryness will follow you. Because it's not, a, it's not a location, it's in you. The dryness is not around you, it is in you. Second, I told you that the wilderness is common to everybody. Nobody gets exempt from the wilderness, and so you shouldn't freak out when you're in the wilderness. You're just normal if you're dry at some moment in your life. The third thing I told you is this, is that if you stay in the wilderness too long, you will die there. 
And I told you that because seasons change and there are moments in our life where we become dry, but God never in- intended or expects us to stay dry the rest of our life. The, the wilderness is one stop on the journey. It is not the permanent residence that God has for you. He wants you to move into refreshing times. So you will also remember that I took you to three great wilderness stories in the Bible. The first being Moses. He, winded up, he wound up in the, mo- in the wilderness because of his own mistakes. I told you about David's wilderness story. He winds up in the wilderness because of his mis- or somebody else's mistakes. And then I told you about Jesus' wilderness story. And he winds up in the wilderness because God sent him there. And so this morning we're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to learn survival lesson number four. Survival lesson number four, the wilderness keeps our desires from outrunning our development. All right, we all have desires. Now, uh, let me just, I'm going to be real transparent with you this morning, all right? I'm going to tell you some of my desires. These are the the little secrets that nobody ever talks about. These are the things that that you go and lay in your bed and nobody, you you think about them, but you don't want anybody else to know about them. Okay, here's one of my secret desires. Are you ready? I want to preach the world's greatest sermon ever heard. That's a dirty little secret that preachers have that they don't tell anybody. We want to preach better than everybody else. Or let me tell you one of the secrets of one of our youth pastors. They want to have the biggest youth ministry in Oklahoma City, right? That's one of their their desires. I know that's their desire. But you can break that down into everyday life for some of you because the truth is that some of you have desires too. Like if you're in business, don't you want to be the best business person in in Oklahoma City? Don't you want to make more sales? Don't you want to outsell everybody else in your company? Don't you want to get the recognition and the promotions over everybody else? If you're a doctor, don't you want to come up with a cure that they'll name after you for some deadly disease? Because we all have these desires in our lives. At least I hope you do. In fact, I don't want to go to church and sit somewhere where the preacher doesn't want to preach good. And I don't want to go somewhere to a youth ministry that the youth pastor doesn't want it to be good. And I don't want to come to your business if you don't want to be the best business person in the, in the city. And I certainly don't want to come to you when I'm sick if you don't want to be the best doctor. So the reality is, is that we all have these desires. We all have this, this innate driven part of us that wants to be successful and that wants to do something significant. And there's nothing unhealthy about that desire. Let me tell you right now, if you want to be the best singer, if you're a singer, if you want to be the best singer that you can be, that's healthy. If you want to be the best uh, nurse that you can be if you're a nurse, that's healthy. If you want to be the best mechanic that you can be if you're a mechanic, that is healthy. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing out of the ordinary for that. But let me tell you this morning that what happens is, is this. When we have those kind of desires in our life, we join a race. We begin a race that everybody's involved in, and there's nothing wrong with the race. It's just that we have to fix the race so the right thing can win. Because let me tell you what this race is. The race is between balancing our desires with our development. We, there's this race that goes on. Why? Because T.D. Jake says it like this. He says, success can be as painful as, as failure if you're not equipped for it. That's a good statement because if you're not careful, what happens is your desires will outrun your development and you will become more successful than you are able to deal with. For instance, you'll remember our great wilderness stories. Moses, he wanted to be the great deliverer for the children of Israel and his, his desires outran his development. And he took matters into his own hands and he has to go spend some time in the wilderness to balance out his desires. 
You remember that the children of Israel desired the promised land, but before they could go into the promised land, they had a desire for all the fruit and all the great things of the promised land. But before they could fulfill that desire, they had to go into the wilderness and spend some time in the heat so that God could balance out their development issues so that they could grow to the level that they need to grow to so that they could inhabit the the promised land. Because listen, God doesn't want you just to visit your promise. He wants you to take possession of your promise. And if you don't spend time in the wilderness, your desires will outrun your development and you'll wind up in your promise and you won't be able to handle it. You can go into the New Testament and you can read about Paul after the Damascus Road experience when the light knocks him off his horse. The Bible says that he went and spent three and a half years in the Arabian desert in the wilderness beginning to grow and become who he's supposed to become in God because his desires, he wanted to be this great witness, but God resisted him and put him in the wilderness so that he could grow the way he wants to needed him to grow. See, the dry moments of our lives help us grow up and they help us grow deep. That's what the dry moments do. So what I'm saying to you is that if you desire to be the greatest thing since life's bread, then you need the wilderness in your life. Why? Because, listen, if you want to be the greatest counselor, the greatest singer, the greatest doctor, the greatest student, the greatest teacher, whatever your role is, whatever your job is, your career is, if you don't get into the wilderness and allow God to develop you, what will happen is what happened to Moses is you will hurt somebody. That's what happens. We, we, if we don't embrace the wilderness, we don't become equipped to the level that we need to be equipped at. And what happens is we end up hurting either ourselves or hurting those around us. See, how many of you know somebody that is so gifted and so talented, they were probably most likely to succeed in their class. But even though they're so gifted and they're so talented, they end up falling flat on their face. How many of you know somebody like that? Right? Why? Because we've got to learn a lesson this morning. The lesson is this. Talent gets you on the stage. If you've got talent, somebody somewhere, it may not be here, but somebody somewhere will put you on a stage and hand you a microphone. The problem is, is it's not that it's not talent that keeps you on the stage. It's character that keeps you on the stage. Talent gets you there. Character keeps you there. How many of you have known people that had enough talent to get on stage, but not enough character to stay there? You see them all on the TV all the time. I'll give you a clue. Turn to channel 23. Right? People that are gifted and talented and have, have the ability to communicate, have the ability to sing, have the ability to perform when the lights come on, but they don't have the character to back it up, and they end up falling flat on their face and hurting everybody around them. Why? Because it is the wilderness that teaches us how to have character. The stage doesn't produce character. The stage reveals character. It is the wilderness that produces character in our life. See, it is true. I want to tell you this morning, God will give you the desires of your heart. He's a God of His Word. He's faithful to His Word. He will give you the desires of your heart. The deal is is that it is in the wilderness that you learn to handle those desires. See, the wilderness teaches us some great lessons. This is what it teaches us. It teaches us the becoming aspects of Christianity rather than the doing aspects of Christianity. Because so many of us know how to do this thing called Christianity. We just don't know how to be Christians. We've got people running the globe that know how to do church. We just don't know how to be church. 
And it is in the dry moments of your life that you learn to balance out all of your great desires, all of your dreams, all your ambitions. When we embrace the wilderness, we learn to handle that stuff. Let me tell you this morning, no one may be willing to give you a microphone right now. And nobody, somebody may not be willing to allow you to parade across the stage. And maybe they won't give you the recognition or the promotion that you long for right now. And maybe they won't make you the supervisor right now that you want to be. And maybe they won't make you the best student in the class right now. But that's all right if while you're in that low place, you will allow God to develop you. Because let me just put it to you this way. If you find somebody that forces their way on stage and forces their way to the top and forces their way to the promotion, you should beware of them. Because they're dangerous. Because they'll get there and they won't be able to handle it. And they will hurt you. The dry times are all about developing. Let's learn lesson number five. Survival lesson number five. It's in the wilderness that we truly learn to worship. I want you to think about this. When did Moses and the children of Israel learn to worship? Think about it. They learned to worship when they were in the driest times of their life. I wrote some things down about this moment, this season when they learned to worship God. Let me let me kind of read back to you what I wrote down. Notice what happens. There was this initial excitement and, and maybe some apprehension about escape. They'd been in bondage for over 400 years, and God steps in and releases them. And so now there's this initial excitement and apprehension. I'm finally going to be free. Then there's frustration. You know the story. They get frustrated because there's no progress. They get frustrated because they can't seem to find their purpose. They, there's no apparent provision. It, it was a dry time. It was routine. It was mundane. There were no feelings. There were no goosebumps. Nothing changed, y'all. Nothing. The route was the same. The, the clothing was the same. Go and read the word. It says that their clothing never wore out. Ladies, they didn't get to go to the mall every week. Amen, guys. They, they had to wear the same clothes every day. But not only that, they saw the same sights every day, the same companions every day. The faces never changed. The, there were no new experiences. There were no new exploits. The same food every day. Same problems every day, same trials every day, and right in the middle of all that, they learn to worship God. Now, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but to me, that sounds like life. Think about it now. Let me, let me bring it to where we live. There's this, there's this thing that happens. We come into an encounter with God, and there's this initial excitement. I finally met God, and I had an encounter with Him, and my life has changed. And from this moment forward, everything is going to be different. And now I get to fulfill my destiny. Now I get to fulfill my purpose. Now I get to find God's plan for my life, and I get to do what He wants me to do. And about, oh, three and a half hours later, we get frustrated because now there's no apparent progress, and the provisions start to run low. Come on now, I'm talking, I'm talking to where you live right now. Uh, and not only that, we get frustrated because it's the same experience next week and the same encounter next week, and we don't feel the goosebumps we felt before, and we see the same sights, and we're hanging out with the same people, same coworkers, same spouse, same kids, same friends, same churchgoers. We're, we're encounter, we, we come into this, this frustration over it never changes. Nothing ever changes. That's what they encountered. That's what they experienced. But they learned to worship God in that moment. 
David understood this concept. He, do you understand that as a shepherd, you remember before he was a king, he was a shepherd? Do you understand that as a shepherd, as the youngest of his family, he would leave his father's house for three to six months at a time and go hang out on the backside of the wilderness watching a bunch of stinky sheep? But the Bible teaches us that it is in those moments that he learns to get his harp out and he begins to sing and he writes most of the psalms watching a bunch of sheep. See, what I am saying to you this morning is this, that there there are going to be times when the nine to five of your life is going to kill the glamour of this walk with God. I know you've never been there, but I just want to tell you there are days I get up and it doesn't feel good. And it's not exciting. And we haven't taken territory. And it looks like we're just going around the mountain. And the people don't change. And the faces don't change. And the frustrations don't change. And the checkbook doesn't change. There are moments in my life when I get up and it seems dry. But it is in that moment that if I will, I can truly learn to worship God. See, it is in the dry moments that we learn to worship God for who He is rather than for what He does. See, it's in the the easy moments when everything is going great that it is easy to worship God. How many of you know that it is not a sacrifice of praise if everything is going good? How many of you know it's not hard to raise your hands when your checkbook is full? I don't have to pump you up to worship team. Man, they hit one note and you're on prime ready to go because everything's great. But what happens when the car breaks down on the way to church? What happens when the kids fought you all the way to church, didn't want to get up, didn't want to wear what you laid out for them, didn't want to wash their hair, didn't want to blow their nose, didn't want to eat what you cooked for breakfast, they didn't want to be here, and you fought all the way. What if it was your husband that was like that? What if you laid his... No, you don't lay his clothes out. I understand. But what... But. Can we still come into God's presence at that moment, the wilderness moment, the dry moment, and still raise our hands? It is easy to worship in the oasis. It is not as easy to worship God in the dry moments of our lives when it's dry and we don't feel anything. How many of you have ever been in church and not felt anything? We don't operate on our emotions and our feelings only, but how many of you know sometimes it's nice to be able to feel something? But there will come a day when you won't feel anything, and it is in that moment that you truly learn to worship, listen, in spirit and in truth. Because the truth is, as God has not changed, and He's still just as worthy as He was when you were feeling good. And He still, still, he still makes provision, even when our provisions aren't high. He's still God. The truth is, He's still worthy of our worship in spite of our feelings. And we only learn that in the dry moments. I want to take you back and remind you that it is the day of Pentecost, but I want you to think about that. Think about what happens on the day of Pentecost. All we know about the tongues of fire that fall on their head and all that. But you need to really think about this. This was a dry moment for them. The the Lord that they have sacrificed everything for, the man, the, the Son of God, this God in the flesh that they thought was going to bring the kingdom of God in the flesh, he's gone They left their family, they left their friends, some of them left their careers, they've thrown everything away, they're outcasts, and now they're sitting in a place where they're they're in an upper room scared to death that the Romans who killed Jesus are now going to come and kill us. It was not an exciting time. They weren't singing, you're so good, you're so good. They were probably singing doom and despair. And in that moment, God breaks in. Why? Because in the dry times, we learn to worship God for who He really is. It's not during the dancing time. It's not during the, the exciting time. So, listen, I, I, just, just hear me. I want you to come in here and, and cut a jig every Sunday if you want to. 
but I'm not going to judge where you are spiritually by that. Because that may not be a sacrifice for you. When, when, when we can de- determine if you're where you need to sp- be spiritually is when you can come in here after your, your loved one has passed away and after you just lost your job and after somebody just ran over your dog and after the plumbing just went out on your house and you found out that that tax refund you thought you were going to get now has to go to something you don't want to spend it on when you can still come in here and say, God, you are good and your mercy does endure forever. And it's true from generation to generation. And I can say, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of the desert, in spite of the dry times, I haven't felt you in months. But the reality is, is you're still alive and you're still ministering and moving into my life. That is deep. That is where it's really at. Dance all you want to, but I want you to dance out of an understanding of who he is. And don't just dance when you got the raise. Dance all the time because he's still faithful all the time. Now, the day of Pentecost teaches us another lesson, and this is why it teaches us this lesson, because they were hidden. Uh, Survival lesson number six. Survival lesson number six. To survive the wilderness, you have to know where to hide. To survive the wilderness... You've got to know where to hide. Do you remember this movie that came out several years ago? It was really popular, and, and my understanding is it's based on a, a true story. It was about, I like horses, so I, I kind of it, it tweaked my interest. It was about this really famous horse that won, won all kinds of races when he wasn't supposed to. If you remember, his name was Hidalgo. You remember that? You remember that story? There was a, a scene in this movie that drives this lesson home. I want you to see this little scene right here because it will help you remember that, what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever looked back and felt like the wilderness was about to overtake you? Right? See, we think of hiding. Hear me this morning. I really want to drive this home. We think of hiding as a defensive thing. But I want to change your perspective on the idea of hiding because hiding is not necessarily defensive. 
Can I remind you in the Old Testament of a couple of accounts of hiding in Exodus chapter 33 and verses 20 through 29 and in 1 Kings chapter 17 verses 5 through 6, we, we come across two instances where God hides somebody. The first one is he hides Moses. You remember the story? He hides Moses by, by in the cleft of the rock and he passes by him. You remember that story? And then the second one is the story of Elijah. The Bible tells us that there's a drought that's getting ready to overtake the land. And the Bible says that God hid Elijah by a brook. Do you remember those? Seems like defensive positions, out of sight, no TV cameras, no glaring lights, no recognition, no promotion. Nobody knows where they are. They're completely hidden. But can I remind you what happens when they come out of hiding? Because the Bible says that when Moses comes off the mountain and out of the cleft of the rock, he's been hidden. He's got more than a glow about him. He now has a word of law in his life that he can speak out. The hiding time produced a word of law in him. But then you go and you read about Elijah, and Elijah comes away from the brook. And the Bible says that God sends him to a, a widow's house, and her son passes away. And he goes up, and he lays on him, and he breathes into it. You remember all that? Out of hiding, Elijah comes out with a word of life. And what I want to tell you this morning is out of the hidden moments of your life when nobody can seem to find you. See, some of you feel like you've been forgotten and some of you feel like you've been hidden away and God won't let you get up on stage and God won't let you get the promotion and God is working against me and won't let me get to where I need to be. All the time he's trying to hide you so that he can produce in you a word of law and a word of life so that when you say a word it has weight to it. When you say a word it has anointing on it. When you live your life it produces life in everybody else around you. you you can only get that when you learn to hide. We've got to learn to hide. And I bring that to your attention because most of us don't know where to hide. We hide in all the wrong places. We get spiritually dry. And what we do, too is, what we, do is we run to everything and everybody else than where we should run. We, we surround ourselves by people and we think this way. If I can just, if I can just get busy. If I can just hide in activity. If I'll just work all the time. I won't have to think about the dryness of my life. Or we think like this, if I, if I can get right, around the right people and I'm around them, my attention will get off the fact that I'm dry and, and being around them will help me. Or we do it like this, if I can get the right stuff. If I'm really dry, the solution for my dryness is let me go shopping. Because if I can get the right house or the right car or the right clothes or the right electronic instrument or if I can get the right TV in my house, if I can go out and buy this thing, then instantly I will feel differently and I won't feel dry anymore. The only problem is, is the next morning we wake up with, dry, uh, with buyer's remorse, right? We run to the wrong thing. thing. So if you're going to survive in the wilderness, you've got to know where to hide. So let me help you this morning. There are three places you've got to hide. The first one is this, solitude. You got to learn how to be by yourself. Bonhoeffer says it like this. He says, beware of the brother who cannot be alone. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape from yourself. For God has singled you out. If you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you. And you can have no part in the community of those who are called alone. We fight solitude. Let me give you an example. I know what most of you are going to do when you get out. See, you've been around people all this morning. There are people all around you right now. You've heard music this morning. It's been loud. It's been enjoyable. But when you get out of here, I know what you're going to do. When you get in the car, you're going to do one of two things. The first thing you will most likely do is turn the radio on. Oh, I know you've been around noise all morning long, but as soon as you walk out there, you'll turn the radio. Or 
even though you just sat beside them, you'll get the cell phone out and call them. Oh, we don't have anything to talk about. We're just going to talk. Why? Because we are taught to fight solitude. In my house, it's like this. If I'm vacuuming the floor, you know what I do? I turn on the TV. I can't hear it. I can't hear a word they're saying. But if I'm at at the house by myself, I may be in the other room, but I'm going to have the TV on so that I can have some noise value, right? How many of you like that? Come on now. Be on. That's what I thought. Studying for a test. Got to have the TV on. Studying for a sermon, got to have the radio on. Got, we want noise all the time. We are taught to never be quiet, to never be by ourselves. Some of you don't know how to be by yourselves because you don't like yourself. See, uh, Charles Swindoll says it like this. He says, solitude has nurturing qualities all its own. Anyone who must have, listen to this, this is a powerful statement. Anyone who must have superficial sounds to survive lacks depth. If you can't stand to be alone with yourself, you have deep, unresolved conflicts in your inner life. Meaning, you ought to go to your car sometime and turn the radio off. You ought to go into your house sometime and turn the TV off. You ought to sometime turn your cell phone off and just be you and God. Why? Because don't you remember in the Old Testament, it was when Jacob was all by himself that he wrestled with God? We avoid God by being in noise all the time. It was, it, it was uh, Jesus when he would go into the quiet, solitary places that he would encounter his father and have communion and conversation with him. We don't hear God because there are so many voices crying out to us. Mother Teresa said it like this. She said, we need, to find, we need to find God, and he can't be found in noise and restlessness. Hear that? God is the friend of silence. So see how nature, trees, flowers, grass grow in silence? See the stars, the moon, the sun? See how they move in silence? We need silence to be able to touch souls. And I want to tell you this morning, one of the places that you're going to have to learn to hide if you're going to survive the wilderness is you've got to learn to hide in solitude. There will come a moment in your spiritual walk when nobody and nowhere, no one can get you out and they won't have a word for you and they won't be able to pray for you and they won't be able to rescue you. You've got to get alone with God and fight it out. The second place that you've got to learn to hide is obscurity. We don't like to be obscure, but we need to remember that Moses tended the sheep for 40 years on the backside of the desert, unknown and unseen. We need to remember that David lived in the shadow of his brothers. If you will remember, his own daddy overlooked him. He was obscure. Nobody knew who he was. He didn't have a name. His name wasn't up in lights. He didn't have business cards. Nobody wanted to hear him sing. Nobody wanted to hear him preach. Nobody wanted to buy a car from him. Nobody wanted to spend time with him. Nobody wanted to be his best friend. He was obscure. Jesus was in the obscurity for 30 years. We know very little about Jesus other than the time he was born when he was 12 years old. And he goes off the scene. We can't find him anywhere for 30 30 years, obscurity. It is in the shadow of obscurity that we learn to be self, that we learn to be servant leaders instead of self-serving leaders. When, When nobody knows who you are, will you still pick up the trash? When nobody knows who you are, will you still clean the toilet? When nobody knows who you are and won't, they won't give you the microphone on a Sunday morning and let you do your thing, will you still walk around and greet people and be nice to people? Or do you only show up when the lights come on? If you are going to be what God wants you to be, you've got to be that all the time and when nobody knows who you are. You want to be the best salesman at work? You ought to be working just as hard when the boss is not there. 
Ooh, that just went over real big. When, when your boss is nowhere, when the, golf is out, when the boss is out golfing and he's left you at the work, you ought to still be working just as hard as you did when he was there. In obscurity, when nobody knows your name. Young people, when you're in high school, when you're in your junior high, you ought to be living just as pure when nobody is watching just as much as when they are watching. Obscurity. See, if someone needs the limelight all the time, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. We've got to deal with obscurity. What does obscurity do? It teaches us to deal with our need to be needed. I saw a sign one time that I think is good. It says, every great maestro has to turn his back on the crowd to conduct the orchestra. Some of you need to understand that God has resisted you and not promoted you so that you can learn to deal with your need to be needed. We've got to learn to deal with obscurity. The third place and most important place is we've got to learn to run into God's word. See, I want to I want to make this point this morning because, see, we run everywhere else but to where we should run. And if we are going to hide and, and survive dry times, then we must learn how to hide in God's word. You will remember in the great wilderness stories that Moses ran into the desert and he ran headlong into a word from God. You will remember that Jesus, when he was in the wilderness times of his life, used the word of God as a weapon. He could hide in the word because he knew the word. But perhaps the greatest example of this is David. David had to run. You'll remember the story. His father-in-law, the king, wants to kill him. He used to throw compliments, but now he throws spears. David is, used to be a welcome guest in the palace, but now he finds himself on the run. Let me just tell you something about David. David had been a shepherd. He knew where all the caves were. He knew where the hills were. He could have been comfortable there. But we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21, and we find out an interesting thing that happens. When David gets ready to run for his life from Saul, guess where he goes? To Nob. What's at Nob? There's a sanctuary at Nob. In 1 Samuel 21, we read that David runs into this sanctuary. And you've got to understand that David runs into this sanctuary absolutely famished. He hasn't been able to eat. He doesn't have any supplies. He's about to starve to death. And the Bible says that David runs into that sanctuary and the priest there gives him bread. But not only does he get bread, the Bible says that David was unarmed. He didn't have anything to fight with. And so he says, priest, is there anything here that I can fight with? And the priest says, well, there's one sword. David said, well, I'll take it. And he says, you don't understand. It's Goliath's sword. There's not another sword like it in the whole land. Do you get my drift this morning? I don't know if you remember this, but the word of God has been called both a bread, the bread, and a sword. And what David discovers is that you can run into a hiding place and get a, a fighting word and a filling word. And some of you need to run back into God's word and be filled by that word. See, the Bible says that the word of God sustains us. The Bible says that we live off of every word that is proceeding out of God's mouth, that is coming out of God's mouth, the proceeding word of God. We learn to live on God's word. If you're dry this morning, let me tell you, you won't be able to live on the shout. You won't be able to live on the dance. You won't be able to live on the goosebumps because you're probably not feeling them. But let me tell you what you can live on. You can live on this every day of your life. It will nurture you. It will guide you. It is the, the lamp that gives me guidance to the path of my feet according to David. It is what we live on. But it is also what we fight with. See, some of you don't do well in battle because you're unarmed. Y'all are not very loud this morning. I know I'm preaching hard. But listen, if you don't know his word, you got nothing to fight with. 
And the Bible says that David found out that it was Goliath's sword. It wasn't just any old sword. There was no other sword like in the land teaching us this. we got to get a word from God that's like nobody else's word. I can't live on Mike's word. I can't live on Tari's word. I can't live on Julie's word. i got to get my own word. i got to get in this thing and dig and find a word that's like nobody else's word. Because when I get that word, I can fight with that word. See, one man said this. He says, if your relationship with God is based solely on experience and you have no revelation of his word, you won't wander in the wilderness. You will die there. It's, listen, it's not enough to come in here and experience the goosebumps of good music. It's not enough to be come into this place and be wowed by the presentation. What you've got to do is you've got to get into this word for yourself. I can't get your word for you. You've got to get your word because you can hide in this thing. You've got to know his word. So I don't know what causes you to run. All I know is this. What you run from is not as important as what you run to. And so we've got to learn to run into this because this will, this will allow us to survive every time. Now, I want to bring that to your attention because I know you because I know me and what I have a tendency to do is I run the wrong place every time oh y'all look all holy I know you probably go straight to the word I know how holy you are but the truth is I don't always remember to do that I want to call so-and-so to pray for me I want to call brother such-and-such that's got that anointing on his life that can give me a word when reality is is in my own house I got everything I need to hide in right here. That's why David could say it like this in Psalm chapter 18, verse 2. He says, Jehovah is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I will take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. He knew the word. I like what he says in in Psalm chapter 46. He says, God is a safe place to hide, ready to help when we need him. Listen to this. We stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom courageous in the sea storm and the earthquake before the rush and the roar of oceans the tremors that shift mountains jacob wrestling god fights for us god of angel armies protects us river fountains splash joy cooling god's city this sacred haunt of the most high listen god lives here the streets are safe god at your service from the crack of dawn godless nations rant and rave kings and kingdoms threaten but earth does not does anything he says jacob wrestling god fights for us god of angel armies protects us attention all see the marvels of god he plants flowers and trees all over the earth bands war from pole to pole breaks all the weapons across his knees step out of the traffic take a long loving look at me your high god above politics praise the lord above everything jacob wrestling god fights for us god of angel armies protects us you can hide in that you won't be able to hide in a song we sang this morning but you can hide in that when you're going through a tough time and you pull out and turn in your word to psalm chapter 46 and say jacob wrestling god fights for me when everything feels like it's going down and it's going to be destroyed and your life is filled with devastation, you can walk out and take out Psalm 46 and says, it's safe in the streets because God's got my back. You can hide. When's the last time you ran and hid in God's word? When's the last time before you called somebody on the cell phone to ask for help, you got on your knees and asked God for help? you got to know where to hide or you won't survive. Those are the lessons this morning. Lesson number four that I mentioned to you was that you've got to learn 
I got to find it or I forget, get it and get them out of order. You've got to learn that your desires will try to outrun your development. So you've got to spend time and allow God to, to develop you. You've got in the lesson number five, in the wilderness, you've got to learn how to truly worship. And then last, you've got to learn where to sp- spend that time by hiding where God wants you to hide. Those are the lessons you've got to learn this morning or you will die in the wilderness. I want you to stand with me. The wilderness times, the dry moments, are absolutely essential for your walk. But if you don't know where to go when it starts, you will die there. I hate to burst your bubble. Come on, I hate to hurt hurt you and and disappoint you, but hear me very carefully. You're not always going to feel the goosebumps. If you've been saved for more than 30 seconds, you're not always going to feel saved. If you've been saved for more than one day, you're not always going to want to shout and dance and sing. Hear me this morning. The dry times either will come, have come, or are coming. If you're not there now, you will be there. If you've never been there, you can mark it down. It's coming. You've got to learn how to survive. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that we can hide in your word. I thank you that your word is relevant to our life. I thank you that, that even when we don't feel like it, we can still encounter you. I have faith, oh God, that even on the backside of the desert, when everybody else has forgotten about me, I can still have a burning bush experience where I hear your word. Father, I pray this morning for each individual in this room. There are some folks in this room that haven't felt you in so long. They, they feel so dry. In fact, while everybody else is dancing and raising their hands and worshiping, they're really struggling because they just don't feel that. This morning, I pray that you would help us to learn to worship in spirit and in truth. God, right now, I pray that you'd speak encouragement to someone in this room. Even though everything may look bad and everything may look just absolutely depressing. I pray that the truth would overcome them right now, that you're still faithful, you're still able, you're still holy, you're still sovereign, you're still righteous, you're still just, and you're still here and you want to touch us. You want to use us. God, I pray that you'd help my people to learn how to hide in the right place. When they get ready to flip the TV on to hide in the noise, I pray that instead they would flip it off and they would be alone and quiet with you. God, I pray that we wouldn't push our way out of obscurity until you release us. Your word teaches us this. We hide in your word. Your word teaches us us this. Our gift will make room for us. We don't have to push our way out. You will do that. Help us to develop. Help us to grow. Help us to grow deep. Father, in the dry moments right now, we desire to be close to you. We may not feel close, but I pray that you would draw us close to you this morning so that we can know which way to walk and know where to go and so that we can endure the wilderness and become everything that you want us to become. In Jesus' name, I want you to do this. I want you to just reach over and lay your hand on your neighbor's shoulder right now. And I want you to begin to ask God 
to help them to become everything that God wants them to become right now. Father, we pray for our brothers and our sisters. We ask you that in the name of Jesus right now, you would allow us to become what you've called us to become. God, we don't want to be so caught up in the doing that we forget the becoming part. You've called us to become the sons and daughters of God. And so, Father, we pray right now that you would enable us to become, to develop, to mature, to grow deeper in you. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, our desires will not outrun our development. That when we become successful, because you've ordained for us to become that, that at that moment, we will be equipped to handle that dream, that desire, that goal. Draw us, oh God. Draw us, oh God. Draw us, oh God. Worship Him in spirit and in truth this morning. dry but worship him Father, right now, as a closing, I pray this. Regardless of the season of our life, 
Some of us may find it really close or easy to get close to you this week. Maybe it seems like every time we just wake up, you're there. Every time we get ready to go to sleep, you're there. Every time we touch something, it works out right. It's the spring of our lives. But Father, for those of us that are in the other seasons of life, the winter of our life where nothing goes right, we can't seem to find you, we can't seem to see you, we can't seem to hear you, this is my prayer for both seasons. Draw us closer to you. In the good times, in the tough times, in the wet times, in the dry times, I pray that you would draw us closer to you so that we can become what you've called us to become. Help us to survive these dry moments and learn the lessons so that we can become what you want us to become. Help us not to give up, not to give in, but to surrender to you and let you accomplish what you want to accomplish in us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want you to come back next week because Survivor Man is going to continue. Danny, if you run that, you're free to go as you will. been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.